Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Modern Gnostic, Episode 7. My name is Brian Stanford. As always, I'm coming at you from Asheville, North Carolina, recording a podcast today talking about modern Gnostic views on Lent. We are entering the season of Lent. Today is Ash Wednesday, and I'm going to dive in today and talk a little bit about the esoteric and exoteric meanings of Lent and ways that you, as a modern Gnostic or a modern seeker, can engage in the ancient rituals and traditions of our culture that we can see flowering up in this tradition of Lent. There's also something in the beginning there talking about my last episode, the politics of social media, and some ways in which I saw myself go quickly off the rails. So sit back, Get your favorite hot, tasty beverage in hand and enjoy episode seven of Modern Gnostic. Hey, everybody. Glad you guys have taken time to tune in to the episode today. Uh, Today is Ash Wednesday, the beginning of the season of Lent. And I want to dig into some of what that means from the perspective of modern Gnosticism. But first, I want to make a comment and an update about my last episode, The Politics of Social Media. Uh, If you haven't listened to that episode, you might want to go back and check it out. It'll give you some context into what I'm talking about here. But one of the things that I talked about in that episode is the tendency for social media communications, particularly around issues of politics or religion uh, to become very contentious very quickly. Uh, the you know the volume kind of goes from two to eleven uh, with the few typed words, and it's such a characteristic of social media interaction um, that it can largely seem like the platform itself is poison. And I know that there are really good arguments out there for why social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter are really poisonous in that they they tend to reward or push content that has a negative bias. Um, people are more likely to engage with posts that stir up uh, negative emotions. So therefore, you know, almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy, these are more and more of what we see in our social media feeds. Um, and it's just kind of the tendency in which everything goes. And it's definitely been my experience. Uh, But I also think that social media and online interactions are likely something that is here to stay. Um, God forbid some sort of drastic uh, change that causes um, some kind of, you know, massive shifts in society where we don't have access to electronics and the internet and things like that. Um, Outside of that, I imagine social media and online interactions are going to be something that we are going to have uh, as part of the culture going forward. And that being the case, it has always seemed to me like it would be a good idea to learn how to have these interactions skillfully. Now, of course, it's funny, but this is just how the universe seems to work. Um, As soon as I made that podcast episode, 
I found myself uh, almost immediately falling into the exact behavior that I was suggesting not to fall into in the podcast. Um, I talked in the episode about how I had given myself, I had banned myself um, from talking about politics on Facebook many years ago, and that I tried to stick to that ban as much as possible. I said this in the podcast, I published the podcast, I started noticing the numbers of listeners to the podcast, and then I immediately (laughs) began to disregard um, my own advice and found myself very quickly being involved in some contentious contentious, uh, discussions on Facebook. Um, Now, the interesting thing about uh, Facebook, for me, as an old who has Facebook, is that everybody I interact with on Facebook are people that I really like. Um, They are people who are either friends from in the real world, or they are friends that I have met through um, religious and spiritual communities online, or friends I've met through the online jujitsu world, um, or family members. So they are people that I genuinely like. And because they are people that I genuinely like, I don't want to have negative, harsh, stressful conversations um, with them on Facebook. Something that has changed about me over the years, I love to debate. I grew up doing um, debate team in in middle school and some of high school. Some of you have heard me talk about, I I grew up in a household um, where my father really liked to debate ideas. Uh, And so I've I've grown up with kind of um, an intellectual combativeness And for a long time, that was really focused on just proving that I am right. And that's usually done by proving that the other person is wrong. And while I am definitely not going to have the hubris to say that I do not still do that, obviously I do. But I am actively trying now in my communications, both online and in person, um, to do more listening and to not think of uh, the necessary setup of a debate as this um, kind of negatively combative contest. In the jiu-jitsu world, we do something called rolling just about every day that we train. And rolling is live sparring, which means, you know, um, in the world of jiu-jitsu, you and I uh, slap hands, bump fists, and then we simulate murder as they like to say. I try to choke you, you try to choke me, I try to break your arm, you try to break my arm. You know, uh, you catch me in a real tight arm bar, I tap, i.e. you killed me, and then we reset and we start over. And the best thing about this is it allows you to train in these very um, real situations where there's actual struggle going on, where you're actually trying to win uh, the other person is trying not to lose, um, and you're you're training hard and fast with using all of your skills and techniques, but it has a playful nature, and because of the tap, uh, we can always reset before someone really gets hurt. And I am trying now to incorporate kind of the rolling metaphor into discussions that are traditionally tricky discussions to have. And it's not just social media. Um, 
you always hear about, you know, you don't discuss religion and politics at the dinner table. Um, in the Masonic tradition, you don't discuss religion and politics in Lodge. Um, you often hear people say you shouldn't discuss religion and politics with family and with close friends or at holidays. Um, and there's reasons for all of these things. In Masonry, there's a reason you don't do this in the Lodge because you don't want to create um, these feelings of uh, disharmony. Uh, you maybe don't do it at the, at the dinner table at Christmas because you know, you know it's kind of likely to get out of control. But the fact of the matter is, uh, we live in a world today where um, politics is a front and center issue. And for someone like me, um, religion is a front and center issue, as is spirituality. And actually what I find more often than not is that the realm in which I am interested in politics is the way in which I think political ideologies um, spring forth from uh, underground rivers of esoteric thought. And so I don't want to avoid these conversations. These are really the conversations that turn me on. Um, they get exciting. They challenge me. It, it helps shape and mold the way I view and experience reality. So I don't want to avoid having these conversations. And at this moment in American politics, no matter what side of things you find yourself on, there are a lot of ideas to think about. There's a lot of big things being bought, brought to the fore to discuss and debate the nature of economic systems, um, the nature of what characterizes a just or successful society. These are important issues. And from the perspective of the Western spiritual traditions, um, as citizens of society, uh, we have a, a role to play in the shaping of these uh, philosophies and ideas. And as I mentioned in the previous podcast, often social media can give us the sense that we are doing this, that we are involved in the debate at the public square. But I think the real key is to learn how to do it like you're rolling. Now, that will help jujitsu people who hear this. They will understand immediately exactly what I'm talking about and go, oh, right, we can fight without really fighting. Um, the problem is, it's not a metaphor that everyone's going to understand. And it's very, very, or I'll say, one of the things that I have discovered is that if I come into a discussion with this attitude of rolling, and I start using my skills and techniques being my ideas and my thoughts, and I'm pushing with you know what is in my um, view a fun kind of aggression, is often viewed by my friends as some sort of overt hostility uh, or browbeating or, or, you know, any, I, I don't know exactly what to call it, but I know that um, the way that I express myself or the words that I use often do not serve very well to um, get the meaning that I'm looking for across. And so this started to happen the other day on uh, Facebook in regards to the nature of socialism and democratic socialism and what these words mean and what Bernie Sanders means when he uses them. And the thread was full of friends and fellow church people, and it uh, quickly got really hot and heated. 
and some friends were sending me some private messages, kind of letting me know the ways in which the discussion was actually starting to upset them. And my first thought was, was oh, exactly, Brian, you're being so dumb. You shouldn't be involved in these kinds of conversations on social media. You should delete the whole thing. This is why you can't talk to people about politics, et cetera, et cetera. But after sitting and thinking about it for a little while, I decided, no, actually, what I want to do is try to have these conversations in a way that builds bonds of understanding and closeness instead of just driving a wedge into those things. And the fact that I had realized that the conversation that was going on was starting to have much more of the characteristic of this kind of driving a wedge, I had two choices as far as I could see. I could throw up my hands and say, oh well, it doesn't work. This is why you don't do this stuff. Delete the post. Or I could reach out to my friends privately in messages and publicly on the discussion and say just that, that we're all friends. We all really want the same things and that this can be an exciting way to talk and discuss about this stuff. And the response to that was overwhelmingly positive. In fact, I got so many responses and messages from people who had not even commented in the discussion but had been reading it. And I think people saw and recognized, wait a minute, maybe there is a different way that you can do this stuff. So what I would like to challenge all of my listeners to is if you do engage in social media and you do like to have these kinds of discussions or you find yourself in these kinds of discussions, experiment with what it could look like to do social media differently. Experiment with what uh, it could look like to use social media with um, a rolling mentality, that it's fun to engage in these ideas, that the people that you're talking to are likely not your enemy, but people that some, for some reason you accepted a friend request from on social media. Either you know them in the real world or you know them online. There's something that you like about them. Think about the things that you like about them. Think about the good conversations that you've had and attempt to engage uh, from that frame. So that's what I, I did the other day. I feel like I kind of turned it around good. We'll see what happens in the future. Um, I'm really trying to put a lot of conscious conscious attention into um, accuracy with communication, meaning actually communicating in a way that gets across what I am about and what I'm trying to do. So I just wanted to throw those words in there um, as an amendment to the last one uh, and as a bit of a challenge. And as I told you guys, I've been cutting back on coffee. And so um, it's the middle of the day. I'm not wanting to have any caffeine, but I, I kind of am craving some coffee. But I have this matcha, I think it's called matcha uh, chocolate tea that says it's supposed to taste like coffee. It sure doesn't smell like coffee. It doesn't really taste like coffee. <laughs> but it does has, have a, a pleasant flavor, and I'm really, um, I'm kind of getting into drinking teas in the afternoon and in the evening. And I have successfully cut way back on my coffee and it's been almost a month now that I've been doing this. I haven't eliminated coffee, but I, I got it down to about two to two and a half cups a day. And for a while I was really feeling a, a, a 
a loss of energy, but I stuck with it. Um, Althea was, was suggesting that, you know, my adrenals needed to kind of balance out. I started taking some ashwagandha, which is an Indian Ayurvedic herb that is supposed to be helpful with this kind of um, reviving of the energy systems. And guys, it's, it's really working. Uh, it's really working. And I have to say, I'm sleeping a lot better. Um, and I generally feel better throughout the day. So uh, if, you've, if you've ever thought about trying to cut down on your coffee a little bit, um, hit me up and we can strategize some plans. So on to the topic for today. Today is Ash Wednesday. It's the beginning of the period of Lent. Um, since I returned to Christianity, as I like to call it, um, since I had my conversion, I guess, to Christianity, uh, this is the second, the second year that I have um, engaged in the practice of Lent. And so today is Ash Wednesday. I'm going to be leaving the house in about an hour um, to go to Mass at a local church here and do what is called receiving the ashes. And this is what it is when you see people walking around today or perhaps on this weekend because some churches wait and do it on the first uh, Sunday of Lent, which would be this Sunday. When you see people walking around with a, with a plus sign, it looks like a plus sign on their head in ashes. That's what's going on. That's Ash Wednesday. Uh, and you'll probably see lots of snide comments on Facebook about zombies. Um, people seem to think that's a really clever comment to make. I know I did. I, I'm sure at some point I made fun of it myself. And here I am engaged in it. But one of the interesting things about returning to the Western esoteric tradition is there's all of these um, holy days that I really never engaged in in my life. I didn't grow up in a Catholic um, household, and I only grew up in a vaguely Christian household to say, like, we learned Bible stories and we celebrated Christmas and Easter. And I definitely, you know, would hear people say, I'm giving up something for Lent. But I never really knew what any of that meant and never really examined it at all until last year. So what is Lent? Well, Lent is a uh, solemn religious observance in the Catholic liturgical calendar that begins on Ash Wednesday, that's today, and ends approximately six weeks or 40 days later on Holy Thursday, which is the memorial of the Lord's Supper, the Thursday of Holy Week before Easter Sunday. And the English word Lent is actually a shortened form of an old English word, Lincoln meaning the spring season, because uh, what you'll find um, in a lot of the Christian liturgical calendar is based around the cycle of the seasons. And one of the things that um, people who have kind of a surface level criticism of uh, liturgical Christianity will say, well, you know, the Christians just took their holidays and stuck them over ancient pagan holidays. So if the pagans wanted to continue to worship, they had to come to the church. I'm not saying that that didn't happen. What I'm saying in the way that I interpret this is that uh, the early church, just like the religions that existed um, in that time and place before them, recognized that something sacred is happening at these various times of the year. And so the mythology of Christianity when I say mythology, I don't mean a false story. We'll have another episode someday about mythology. But from my perspective, mythology, um, it's something realer than real. Mythology is the stories that humans tell about these concepts, these, 
these um, great truths that transcend particular traditions or customs. And the church, the early church, is recognizing that the year is divided in these time cycles that uh, largely correspond with the, the, the course and chart of the sun um, through the heavens. And so for the early church, they had this spring season was Lent. Um, in languages where the Catholic Church was earlier established, like Greek and Latin, uh, the term designates the period dating from the 40th day before Easter. And in Latin, the word that is used, which I will definitely mispronounce, is quadragisma, which uh, literally means the 40th. Uh, and the number 40 is a, a recurring number um, in biblical literature. Uh, I haven't done any investigation into the Kabbalistic um, correspondences for the number 40, but I imagine there are a lot. Um, the number 40 shows up a lot in the mythology of the Bible. Uh, Moses spent 40 days on Mount Sinai. Elijah spent 40 days and nights walking to Mount Horeb. Um, God sent 40 days and nights of rain in the story of the great flood. Uh, the Hebrews wandered for 40 years in the desert. Uh, Jonah's prophecy of judgment gave 40 days to the city of Nineveh in which to repent or be destroyed. Of course, Jesus fasted in the wilderness for 40 days before beginning his public ministry. Um, and in some traditions, Jesus was in the tomb for 40 hours before his resurrection. So this number 40 is, is a mystical number in the uh, Abrahamic traditions. The holy days of Lent uh, are ancient in the church. Since the earliest times of the church, there is evidence of some kind of Lenten preparation for Easter. Um, Lent became more regularized uh, with the legalization of Christianity in around AD uh, 313. And like all uh, Christian holy days and holidays, Lent has changed over the years, but the purpose has always been the same. Um, Self-examination and, um, and penance demonstrated by self-denial in preparations for Easter. Uh, in the Catholic world, both Gnostic and, and otherwise, uh, this is a day where we go to Mass and engage in a ritual known as receiving the ashes. We approach the officiant of the mass and they make the sign of the cross on our foreheads while intoning the sacred words. Remember, O man, that you are dust and unto dust you shall return. And that statement in Latin is memento homo quia pulvis es et in pulverum revertes. I'm sure I said that wrong. My Latin is non-existent. Uh, but this short traditional phrase gives uh, us modern Gnostics much to use as a springboard into the heart of inner alchemical practice. Um, one of my friends and spiritual mentors, Bishop Rosamond Miller, who is a very powerful uh, female bishop in the Gnostic tradition, she is one of the OGs, <laughs> one of the original Gnostics in the modern Gnostic um, tradition. She posted a, a great thing on Facebook the other day, again, showing us 
potential good ways that social media can be used. Uh, Bishop Miller uses them to post um, spiritual teachings, and this was one of those. And she wrote, For us, the ashes serve as reminders that our carbon forms are temporary. They act as spacesuits or uniforms that must be given back to Earth before we return home. Once our present tour of duty in this planet has come to an end. May we all be discharged with honor and perhaps with a few medals for altruistic valor against insurmountable odds. I love that. I really love that. Um, and then it, as a little side note, this is something you can – one of the great things about having spiritual teachers um, like Bishop Miller is they can just – you know, type out a quick phrase on Facebook or give you a kind word on the telephone and you'll, you'll kind of start to mull over what they say. And when she says this part at the end, may we all be discharged with honor and perhaps with a few medals for altruistic valor against insurmountable odds. That's a really deep teaching. It's a really deep teaching. And it's, it's, um, there's an idea in, in Kabbalistic thinking that the smallest good you do helps tip the scales of the world towards the good. And the same with the smallest kind of non-valorous action you could do tips the world towards the bad. And as Bishop Miller says, hopefully, particularly us as modern Gnostics, but all people, hopefully, we will take up the challenge to live our lives in a way that perhaps in the afterworld, We'll get a couple of medals for valor in the face of the insurmountable odds of the challenges of life in the material realm. And this quote also, it makes me think, and the, the spirit in which I am going into Lent this year is to use this time as a time to daily focus on who and what I really am. There's a quote that's often attributed to C.S. Lewis, although I, I hear that it's factually not true that C.S. Lewis said this. I've also heard Hindu sages uh, say this quote um, and attribute it to the Vedas. So who knows where it comes from? <laughs> but the quote is that you do not have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. Think about that. I catch myself all the time um, talking about these things when I'll say to, to someone, you know, um, you have a soul. That's, the, that's the, the kind of the first Gnostic awakening from my perspective, at least it was in my life, was that, oh, wait, I'm not just nothingness. I'm not what the Buddhists say, uh, just um, an amalgamation of rising sensation and habits and patterns that come together from moment to moment to create a false concept of self. That's definitely going on. That's the, the false sense of self is constantly being created, just as the Buddhists describe. But what I think gets wrong, at least in this interpretation of Buddhism, is that that means that there is no Atman, that there is no capital S self or soul. And when I talk about this, I'll say, well, of course, you know, I am, I have a soul. I have a soul. And that gets it so wrong in a subtle way that is really beautiful if you can catch it. And it turns your language into a meditation. 
because it is a big shift to say, to go from saying, I have a soul to saying, I am soul. When the ashes are put on our forehead and the priest says, remember, O man, that you are dust and unto dust you shall return. That's us as men, as humans. That's what they, when they say man here, they're not, they're not, they're not making a statement about, you know, our modern uh, debates around gender. They are, they are talking about the generic human, man and woman. You are from dust and to dust you will return. But there is a deeper message there that you, the self, the soul, the thing that is listening to this recording right now and apprehending the words, you are eternal. You are not the body that is made of dust and will return to dust and one day will just be ashes. And so as Gnostics entering into the practice of Lent, particularly on a day like today on Ash Wednesday, or if you're just, you're, you're just hearing this and you're like, oh, wow, this is Ash Wednesday. This sounds really cool. I would like to engage in this practice, but it's too late to go to a church. Look around in your area. There's probably people doing it this weekend. You could even do it at home with ashes on your own. You could have your partner put the ashes on your head and say the words, or you could do it yourself. But giving yourself a reminder that there is something about you. In fact, the essential thing of you transcends death. I think this is the message, um, the focus I want to have uh, for Lent this year. So one thing people do that's kind of famously associated with Lent is to give something up. Traditionally, Lent is a, a, a time to fast um, to you know, you hear about people. Well, I gave up coffee for Lent, or I've, you're hearing people say, "I'm going to give up social media for Lent," um, uh, a certain kind of diet thing, alcohol, whatever. We give something up for Lent. We fast from something. Um, this is an important practice. Fasting is an important practice. Fasting is an important practice because it calls on us to activate will. The awake part it, it it's a it's a it's a technology to wake up to self you give yourself a stricture in which you are going to act and then no matter what happens no matter no matter what distractions come up no matter what desires come up you stick with the thing you have decided to do this is not a punishment and undoubtedly some christians look at the um, sacrifice of something during Lent as a, as a way to atone for some sort of errors they've made or sins they've made. And I'm not saying that you cannot engage in this practice in that way. You most certainly can if that is the way you feel called to do so. But you can also do it as a way, as a technology to wake up, to wake up to who and what you really are. And if you're going to give something up for Lent, I would encourage you to balance that by taking something up for Lent. And I actually think uh, that is just as important as giving something up for Lent. It's just as important as fasting is to inject a spiritual technique into your life. So um, a, a friend of mine is taking up prayer practice, daily prayer practice for the 40 days of Lent. Uh, they don't currently have a daily practice of meditation and prayer. And so we're working together to come up with a format 
that they can use to work with during the 40 days of Lent to add a spiritual practice into their daily routine to try to bring some recognition of spirit soul into their day-to-day lives. I did this last year and it completely transformed my life. I started doing a daily prayer practice during Lent and I have not stopped. Here I am starting Lent again, still doing the daily prayer practice. And it's transformed my life and perhaps one day we'll do an episode about how that looks like what that can be. So I would, I would encourage you to engage with Lent this year in an esoteric way to, after you've listened to this podcast, spend a couple of days leading up to this Sunday. And then on this Sunday, make a commitment, make a bond between yourself and Hashem, the divine, whatever name you use to characterize that. Make a bond, a covenant between you and the divine for something that you will give up, a restriction practice during Lent, and something that you will do, a positive action-based practice that you will do during Lent. And just like with starting a workout or starting any new routine, it's not helpful to give yourself something that is so large that you are likely not um, going to do it, that that there's a high likelihood that you will fail. Give yourself something that is challenging, but that is doable. I think that if you will have some faith and engage with these ancient traditions and and rituals and customs from our spiritual tradition, you'll find at the end of this 40 days and as we enter into Easter, your life will be transformed in uh, very amazing ways. So I'm going to leave you with a quote today from the Corpus Hermeticum. And this is one of the sacred books that we use uh, here in the Gnostic Temple in Asheville. It's part of our Gnostic library. It's part of the, what, what we recognize as, as scripture. And this is from, um, you can get nice, nice little translations of this. They're about five or six bucks. They're not super expensive. Um, And this is a conversation between Pyamander and Hermes. And Pyamander is like, I think you could say Pyamander is is a, is a, almost like a Christ-like figure in the Hermetic literature, a transcendental teacher. Um, It's something akin to Krishna talking to Arjuna, something like that. And Pyamander says, the truth is light and life is God and father whence man is begotten. The truth is light and life is God and father whence man is begotten. If therefore you realize yourself as being from life and light and that you have been made out of them, you will return to life. If therefore you realize yourself as being from life and light, and that you have been made out of them, you will return to life. And this is what we're trying to do as modern Gnostics. We're trying to realize, to wake up to, and to live from who and what we really are, and return to the fullness of life.
Thanks for listening, y'all. It means a lot to me to look at the numbers and watch them tick up one by one when I see people are listening to the episodes and enjoying them. It's a lot of fun to make these, and it's a lot of fun to see people listening and enjoying the content. If you find yourself liking what you hear here at Modern Gnostic, just be sure to subscribe and throw us a like or a comment wherever you listen to us. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google's Podcatcher, and a few other places. Uh, Subscribe, like it, share it on social media, tell your friends about it uh, so we can keep it going. And if you have any ideas about things you would like to hear me discuss or maybe people that you would like to hear me interview, head on over to the Modern Gnostic Facebook page and shoot me a message and let me know what's up. Uh, This is Brian Stanford. Really hope you guys enjoyed it and I'll talk to you next time.